Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Bever. And here we are again in the Zoom meeting. And uh, yes, we do have a wonderful episode, a wonderful roundtable to talk about the uh, debate that we have uh, now advertised and gotten out there. Uh, please go to the Facebook page. Please mark interested and going and then share it with other people with your church yes. and everything to where uh, we have this room um, at the Missouri Baptist Con- or annual meeting this year that the, the day prior anyway that we have that room filled up um, lots of good questions and all that kind and of stuff. And there to is have, going so. to be uh, just so you know as a little bit of an incentive to coming to the debate there is going to be snacks there's going to be refreshments and drinks uh, last year they were so good that you really didn't even have to eat dinner because there were so many mm-hmm. awesome snacks so we're hoping to just uh, have standing room only at this debate. I definitely think that a topic like this is going to be one that will interest people. And again, the question for this debate is one that I think is extremely useful. And it is stated very clearly, what does the Bible say about end times? Of course, Adam, Gabe, Colton, Dennis will be presenting their various positions. Adam post-mill, Gabe ah-mill, Colton historic pre-mill, and Dennis Jackson will be dispensational. Should be an exceptional debate. Mm -hmm. We are so privileged to have the opportunity to sit down with these gentlemen and discuss what I think actually leads up to the reason that we're having this debate, this discussion, and that is what is the relationship between eschatology and apologetics. And even in my mind, I always think of really Why is eschatology an important thing for us to talk about? Because it should always drive our evangelism. Knowing that Christ is returning should be something more than just an intellectual discussion. It should drive us to missions. It should drive us to proclaim the kingdom, regardless of where you fall. You should be studying and holding to your eschatological position as the fuel for doing evangelism and defending the faith. And that is a great commission-minded individual. Yeah, so. yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. It's gonna definitely uh, test me because uh, it's one of those things. It's been only the past uh, couple years for me where I have uh, said, you know, and with uh, with more dogmatically. Um, what uh what i guess what my position is so you know coming from um a background and uh just growing up traditionally in a dispensationalist pentecostal uh background um reading all like actually i didn't get into it on left behind like i i watched the old 1970s movies filled up and filmed up in iowa you know a thief in the night and all that you know great mustaches great clothes and everything years of scary 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 did you ever watch years of the beast I'm trying to think. I don't think I oh, watched that seven, one. So that's was, a 70s one. It was, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was like, a, like yeah. a thief in the night. Yeah. Thief so. in the night, distant thunder. I mean, I watched, I, I, I remember going to blockbuster and rent renting all seven <laughs> movies and watching them and just being absolutely scared out of my mind or whatever. And then now and, I'm on this other side of like, 
Oh, okay. But you know, that's, that's part of the debate. That's part of the discussion. That's what we will end up getting into, uh, after, uh, this little intro, but we just wanted to make sure that we are getting, uh, everything, uh, announced. So yes, we have the debate, uh, that is October 22nd. Please, uh, like share, uh, let people know about that debate. It's eschatology. Everybody wants to go to those debates. Who cares about the other ones? You know, that's the one that we want to, we, we want to know about. And I hope that that does not ring true with you. I hope that <laughs> all the topics that happen in, uh, a good civil uh, Christian debate whenever it's brothers and sisters loving each other, um, how we have unity, um, though not uniformity, and that we grow and it only only gets to my position anyway can make sense of that. But I must digress and let's uh, get it to the other <laughs> announcements anyway. Um, also, uh, we are involved in um, abolition, as you know, and uh, we, uh, Dave and I are a part of the uh, board of directors of uh, Abolish Abortion Missouri. And so there's a couple of uh, big deals uh, that are coming up that you can get involved in. So either you can come to, um, on October 15th, you can come to Redeemer um, and have an awesome time of being a equipped, um, being exhorted, uh, hopefully being corrected if, uh, you know, you're not an abolitionist and you get those arguments and, and that there's a gentle, respectful nature to it. But, uh, we are going to hold at Redeemer church, my, my brothers and sisters, my local body, my elders anyway, are coming together to host, uh, the event called the go Therefore abolish abortion conference. And so I do not have all the details up for the reason of, I don't have everything put together to then push it so we are still on the um getting the information out and as soon as everything lines up at the very front end then we will be hitting it hard and needing you guys to get that information out but it will uh, be an awesome conference it'll be we'll have AAMO uh, is going to is a definite big part of it. We've got uh, rescue those. We've got free the states. Tag your it. Uh, the NBAA, the SBAA, however many uh, cool logos we've got. Logos everywhere. We need this. to make sure we connect with the um, AIM Kansas folks as well. Why not? See if they'll come. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, let's. We, there's no reason for them to not feet. be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that specifically be, with Kevin being part of it. So yeah. yeah, and this is a you know this is a good entry level. This is a a uh just shoot and match uh, make you mm-hmm. feel horrible kind of thing no this is a this is this is the great commission um so we're going to teach what jesus has to say about it we're going to um, teach how to build we're going to teach how to love and then the so what now of what do we do uh, because of the great commission because of what jesus said what he wants us to build and uh how we do this in real true defined love of christ so this will be an awesome awesome event um for that purpose so please uh keep your eyes peeled on the tag your it uh timeline and redeemer church timeline if you're part of my redeemer family and you're listening to this you know we'll get all the information out but it's awesome that the elders gave me the green light a few weeks ago um and uh just just kind of still working on some background uh things because this is the first conference that i'm putting together and luckily i've got dave around he's he's done it a few times and i've got people around me so i'm not feeling like i'm swimming but it is a lot so um keep that in prayer um that being said um it is getting time for um state annual meetings we had the big one um in anaheim and now it's time for the states to kind of come together and especially in the time of um roe versus wade being overturned um even though we didn't need it but now it's overturned and there's absolutely no excuse for anybody and so it is up to the states and now we got the state uh, annual meetings coming up and in missouri as of uh, august 8th i have submitted the equal protection 
of the law for preborn children. So what we did in Anaheim, I put that up for the state of Missouri so that us Missouri Baptists can stand with one prophetic unified voice and call our civil magistrates to equally protect all persons and your person at fertilization. Again, where does the soul come in? You know, like I, I've seen, I've seen a atheist uh, because they, they're going after like theistic evolutionists. Like, okay, when did the soul evolve? When did the soul evolve? And I'm like, yep, that's the problem with that. But you know, the good thing is the Bible doesn't teach that. So, and right. we can talk that about, we can talk about that as a podcast sometime. Maybe we can talk into Jason Lyle or something. Maybe we can get that kind of guy up here, but we'll yeah. find somebody anyway to talk about uh, why you can't get theistic evolution from the text without going outside and putting a different lens on it. Uh, but I must digress from that point, but you are a human from fertilization. You have a soul. You're made in the image of God. And we have that already really written in our state laws anyway. And that is the presupposition of our country as well. And we can talk about those kind of things, but we need to do this. And so it's Missouri Baptist, please. If you go on YouTube, if you check out our tag, you're at timeline, you can find a video that I put together. It's just me um, reading a, a, something off the back of this, just the uh, equal protection mandate that from the moment of fertilization, conception, preborn children are created in the image of God. And at and the same laws protecting our lives ought to protect them. This should not be controversial amongst Southern Baptists and Missouri Baptists. You can you can just change the uh, the name there. Um, same deal. Um, but as Christians, we are commanded to uphold justice for the fatherless, love our neighbors as ourselves, and treat others as we wish to be treated. We are not at liberty to to deny preborn children the same legal protections that we enjoy. We must demand abolition of abortion through equal protection for preborn children. Okay. And then you get, get all the whereas is you get the resolve in that video. You can share it, share it with your pastors, share it with your fellow congregation members, leadership, whatever. Um, make sure that you're a messenger and supporting this so that we can get lots of ballots hanging up in the air whenever this right. hits the floor. Cause we will make sure that it hits the floor. So luckily the past couple of years, even though people denied it, they let it here hit the floor um, coming out of committee. Even the, even if the committee doesn't let it come out on the floor, they've, both times they voted it out for discussion and yes, they denied it, but at least it got a hearing. And the more that we get that we teach, this is a teaching moment. So we're not building anything, unfortunately. And that's kind of why I'm against resolutions because we're not building anything, but, but this is what keeps me in it. Okay. What keeps me in it is because we have a room full of people getting taught and we keep knocking on the doors. This is the way apologetics works as we keep hitting, we keep hitting because that's, we're all priests. We're all supposed to do this one another thing. And so this is a part of the one another of an apologist. Just keep on teaching, keep on teaching and let the results be to God. So um, I think Kevin Myers would say abortion must be abolished. Amen. Right there. So, <laughs> so with that said, <laughs> trying to think, uh, yeah, that we also, I've got, uh, I'm sorry, being long winded twice. No, no. In September, or, you're going to be speaking yeah. at first Baptist church of mm -hmm. Osage beach. Is that correct? Uh, Camdenton, Camdenton, Missouri. So yeah, Cody Harlow up in Camdenton, Missouri has invited me to come speak on apologetics. So it's been a while since I've had that opportunity and it's awesome to have that. So I'm kind of getting back into gear and shape 
on that but let me share this cool little image while we got it anyway but yeah apologetic sunday september 11th 2022 up at camdenton first baptist church um it's not just me though um we've got a 10 30 a 3 30 which is my time slot and uh 5 30 so we're actually rob phillips the uh, head of the missouri baptist apologetics network um will be there speaking and i get to uh work with him um serve with him uh in the same con- congregation the same day to talk about it so i've been specifically called to talk about presuppositional apologetics um and uh to also i'll be speaking on that covenantal apologetics and uh the 10 tenets so uh, make sure if you are in the area of camdenton missouri on september 11th 2022 make sure you find yourself um at 3 30 at, at minimum you know i'm sure you've got your own body if you're not a part of that body go to your body and be fed by your elders and prayed over by your elders be with your people, but then come at three 30 in the afternoon, um, to hear about, uh, covenantal apologetics and the 10 tenets. We'll talk about methodology. It's all going to be wrapped up in there and taking notes. Um, hopefully I'll have time to have really good questions and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to do that and love to hang out, um, afterwards to, um, you know, help out even more answer questions and just, um, uh, just be there as, um, putting my body out there, uh, for the sake of Christ <laughs> in this Amen. whole battle. So, um, but yeah, so I think that's a pretty much, I think that's all our uh, housekeeping that we need to get, yeah. get, get rid of today before we get into the uh, panel episode. But, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for uh, handling us the past couple of weeks to, uh, announce these big things. Cause we haven't had a lot of big things going on in Tagland, and now it's all kind of hitting at the same time. Yeah. So pray for us. Uh, pray for the events and um, you know we know that uh, God's uh, in control and he's going to use it um, despite our fallible nature and us uh, messing up God's still going to uh, rule uh, and reign and uh, get to his ends of him getting glory from everybody so with that said let's get into this uh, apologetics sort of roundtable on eschatology. Welcome, everyone, to the Tag Your It podcast. We have a special edition today, uh, a special thing we don't generally do, uh, but we've been doing a little bit more this year, and that is kind of a panel discussion. And so we have more than just Adam and me. We have a few different individuals, and I'm going to allow each of them to just introduce themselves. Of course, you know Adam, but because I want him to uh, at least use this program, each of our participants in this panel to use the program as a means to not only promote the debate that we have coming up on what does the Bible say about End times, but we have a meeting for the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. It's going to be an exciting debate on October 23rd. We hope you'll join. So, Adam, I'm going to begin with you. Just tell us a little bit about yourself again in brief and share with us the eschatological position that you're going to be defending during the debate on the 23rd. All right. So, I'm hoping, um, just bringing on the other guys, uh, that we, we will get some new listeners anyway um, to do it. So, let me uh, just act like I'm just on the show and people don't know who I am um, because of that fact. Um, so welcome um, to the Tag Your It podcast, everybody um, that has not listened here before. I am uh, Adam or otherwise called as Ray Ray. Um, I am the co-host with Dave on this podcast and uh, do a lot of other ministries. I'm at Redeemer Church here in Springfield, uh, Missouri. been serving there in different capacities for four years now. Um and uh, just been on Apologetics Network since 2017 is uh, basically when we started the podcast, whenever I got on the M-Band 
um, Colton wasn't around, Gabriel wasn't around, Dennis was around, and Dave was my uh, kind of doorkeeper in, uh, got got me in with everything and told me to do it, and we, that's where we, where we're at. So anyway, that's kind of my ministry. I've got a couple of kids, got a wonderful wife, mortgage, all that fun stuff, um, and uh, so pretty busy and being a barber um, for my tent making anyway. And that takes a lot of time. So I'm, I'm all over the place anyway. So, uh, but yes, I'm coming to this debate. Um, and I am glad to debate Gabriel Zelaya cause I was a uh, opposite him with, uh, Dave last year at the <laughs> Missouri Baptist annual meeting. Um, and so we get to, uh, again, uh, have a great discussion, uh, together. And then, uh, Dennis Jackson was on the other side of me too with, um, and it was just kind of interesting, the dynamic, uh, on both sides, uh, of the discussion. So I can't wait wait for this, but I will be bringing a post, a post-millennial position, uh, to the table. Now, um, when it comes to the resolve, I love the resolve. Um, it's not about the millennium. And so that's actually where I like to camp out. Cause I find the, uh, naming of the positions, um, sort of, uh, weird, um, when it comes to it, if we're going to be reformed, um, especially coming from a reform perspective as well, um, that we do not, uh, that we pick a weird starting point. And so I love, and thank you, Dave, for the verbiage of the, uh, whole, uh, resolve of the, oh, uh, what is the, it's the end times. What does the Bible say about the end times? And so I think we'll have a greater conversation, um, with that verbiage. So yes, I'll be coming from the post-millennial, um, perspective on that. Gabe Zalea, my former student, if you don't mind, I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself as well. Yes, um, I am, like you said, Gabriel Zalea. I am um, a worship pastor at Pisgah Baptist Church. I am, um, this is something I haven't had the chance to actually tell you about. I uh, was formerly a MDiv student at Midwestern Seminary. I have uh, since actually transferred uh, to Southern's online program for apologetics and philosophy. Mm. Um, I, that, I mean, long, to make a long story short, I felt the pull to get a degree in the, in the study for a while and, um, will always be a worship pastor. I was getting my MDiv in worship, but now I'm getting into pushing my master's towards what I want my PhD in one day. So just kind of trying to set myself up a little bit better. So I'm a, I'm a full-time student. I am, um, a worship pastor, a uh, husband, no children yet. I have a dog <laughs> and uh, I still work on uh, uh, Midwestern Seminary's campus. It's a joy to work with uh, uh, other godly individuals who are aspiring to be uh, good churchmen, good pastors. Um, and that's about it. My life is full of busyness in between all of that, between ministering and studying and working. So, that's about it. I will be representing in the uh, upcoming discussion. Um, I will be representing the all millennial perspective. I, I totally agree with Adam that Reformed people have a have a well. Christianity doesn't always put the best labels to things, but I will be representing a, uh, a all millennial perspective, nonetheless, and hopefully try to explain what that position is, and you know maybe persuade a few people here and there, but. I, I, you know, I think it'll be a great discussion. In your very well-stated, oliphant, persuasive yeah. thing, I like <laughs> that you put that in there. Colton Wright, I am so grateful to be able to have you on the podcast again. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the position that you're going to be defending. 
So uh, I was on here before, but my name is Colton Wright. I am part of the network. Um, I am a husband. I've uh, been married now for nine and a half years. So we're going to celebrate our 10th this coming year. Awesome. Uh, we just uh, had our son a year ago. So he's 15 months old now. His name's Declan. He is a handful, quite the handful. Um, I am newly the youth pastor at uh, Lynn Creek Baptist Church here in Lynn Creek, Missouri. So getting my feet wet in that, trying to adjust to the uh, wonderful preparation life, but I enjoy it and I uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. But also uh, I do attend uh, Midwestern. I am pursuing my bachelor's of biblical studies. Hopefully everything will go just right and I will graduate next spring with my bachelor's. I also co-host a podcast called Anchored by Faith with my buddy Logan Battisti. Um, Never heard of them. Swing over there and check it out. What's that? Never heard of them. Never heard of them. He's not important. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Great guy. But uh, Mm. we're going through spiritual disciplines. Uh, It hurts. I could say that. Yeah. But I will be, uh, I will be, uh, debating or I'll be holding the historic premillennial view. Um, this is a view that a lot of people don't really know much about. So kind of really excited to argue for it. Uh, um, yeah, so that's me. Dennis Jackson, it's only appropriate that you have to wait the longest, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's the story of my life, man. (laughs) Tell us us a little bit about yourself and the position that you'll be holding as well and defending. Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, can you see me? I cannot no. see you. Okay. No. Uh, well, apparently that didn't go right then. So maybe we'll fix it later. But anyway, um, my name is Dennis Jackson. I am uh, a graduate of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It took me a while, but I got it done. And uh, um, I, uh, for, for money, I uh, work in the computer field. I'm a computer programmer. Um, but uh, I am an itinerant preacher and uh, apologist uh, whenever I get the chance. Uh, and right now, uh, I am uh, blessed to be the interim pastor at First Baptist Church of Odessa, Missouri. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, uh, what's going on uh, ministerial-wise, um, having a ball there. Uh, and uh, I am uh, married. My wife's name is, is Becky. And I have three children, Caroline, Curtis, and Christian, and a dog named Crosby. So we got the C's <laughs> going there. <laughs> well, excellent. It's so good to get to hear just a little bit about all of you and what's going on in your lives and ministry. Oh, oh. I am so grateful to serve. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dennis. I cut you oh, off, brother. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Last last part here is I will be uh, defending the uh, position uh, that is uh, called dispensational premillennialism. And uh, I agree with uh, with my brothers here that uh, the naming is not my favorite, uh, but uh, that's that's what uh, it's often known known as. Uh, and actually, there's a lot of people that that know the the uh, the idea without having any idea what the name of it is. So uh, yes. uh, it'll be be fun to talk about. Yeah, I am really grateful, and I will say you can blame all of this discussion on Dennis. Last year, him and I met at the For the Church conference and sat by each other, and this is where the idea birthed from, from a discussion with him and I. Uh, 
before one of the speakers spoke. So thank you, Dennis. Great <laughs> idea. I'm so grateful. I've been looking forward to this now for, for almost a year. Yeah. So mm. uh, eschatology is something that seems to be both a point of interest to people and a point of tension in the church at times. Uh, just I'm going to throw this out to all of you in no particular order. Why do you think this is? Uh, is it a good thing uh, that it is somewhat a point of contention or, or is it a negative thing? Uh, speak as you'd like and um, whoever would like to start, go for it. I think eschatology is so interesting because no matter, I think all of us would admit there still remains an unknown aspect to it. Um, there's still the, the what ifs, you know, there's still the, the points that every one of us is trying to iron out. So it makes it something uh, a lot of people are interested in. Um, I would also, I would add to that and say that I think that Christians are so looking forward to the second coming because that really mm -hmm. culminates into the, uh, a truly redoing of everything. I mean, depending on whether you believe, I mean, not to get into it too much, but whether you believe in the Lord redeeming heaven and earth or completely creating a new heavens, a new earth, regardless, it'll be new. And I think every, every Christian that is at least passionate about it, um, man, they, I, I believe the, the contention comes from a heart of longing to see um, sin um, meet its full justice, sin be fully eradicated, and we be glorified in the Lord uh, to eternal perfection in Him. And I think that longing sometimes comes with great frustration in that it is not a present reality. <laughs> so yeah. um, it is a, uh, I think that's, if I were to get to the nuts and bolts of it, that's what I think it really comes from. I don't, I, it, it pains me when it does become a, 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 conversation of passionate disagreement uh, to the point to where um, the the breaking of fellowship occurs. Mm -hmm. And I sadly have seen that. And it's, it's mm -hmm. a tough thing to, to witness. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you think about it though, um, you know, it's, it's important, but truth does divide. And so, mm -hmm. you know, in that frustration, you know, and we do stand on uh, principles where we are geared for truth. Um, you know, we are made in God's image to worship him. We love truth. We want that. Yes, we have all gone astray and we've rebelled yet. We still want to hold on to truth. We still want to hold on to certain mm -hmm. things. Um, and you know, it even works out in the social movements. Um, they want utopia. They want, uh, you know, their pains and struggles. Um, so, you know, it's not just, it's, it's, it's a image of God thing. Um, so why is the interest? Um, what is there, there is their design, all that kind of stuff. So you can, you can take that, you can take the revelation out of it and just go to the fact that even if you don't have revelation, you are still made in the image of God and you're going to look at and want these sort of things. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a want of everybody because we're made in the image of God. We know that there's something wrong, but without God, you can't even make sense of that. Um, but uh, the reason why it's contentious is because, you know, if we have the truth, right, we're going to defend that truth. Um, mm -hmm. And we can, if we don't order it right, again, uh, say where, for example, on me um, with other people, as long as we can agree on the Great Commission and do the Great Commission work, mm -hmm. if we don't have eschatology, um, 
agreed upon, I, we can still work together because that's what the great commission tells us to do. So, you know, so there's little points here where, you know, where I would go, like, here's where we need to disfellowship. Here's where we can stay in fellowship. And so we just have to have a full orb understanding, but it does get contentious because truth does divide us. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and and it's, you know, it's dangerous to make it. I'll probably end up saying again, it's dangerous to make man the uh, measure of truth, but that's what we do. So, and that's what we have to repent of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dennis, I can see you now. Uh, yeah. You, brother. Uh, it is a mm-hmm. point of interest, a point of tension. <laughs> Why do you think um, that is? Definitely a point of interest. And, and I think it's, it's got to do with that idea of, uh, uh, you know, all of creation is groaning for, for a resolution uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to what we see around us. We know that what we're in isn't right. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're waiting for for how God's going to fix all that. And so, uh, so that it's definitely a point of interest because of that. And in terms of a point of, of tension. Um, yeah, well, uh, people, um, people are, are, uh, like to argue these days, <laughs> this, uh, what it is, uh, uh people are, are grabbing a hold of their viewpoints and, and, and sticking a stake in the ground with them. And, um, um, for me, I, in terms of eschatology, I, I've, uh, I, I feel like, you know, if, if you're, if your understanding of eschatology is, is any of these major <clears throat> ideas that we're going to be discussing, um, that then we're good. You know, if your idea of eschatology is, you know, Jesus is coming back on, on October 3rd of 2023, <laughs> then, then, then we've got a problem. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, then, uh, uh, yeah, we've, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm in perfect, fellowship with with all of these guys and, and we're all representing uh, different views so uh, um, uh, it doesn't have to be a point of tension although you know our, our human nature can make it that way so we have this great opportunity to get to debate our different eschatological positions before the Missouri Baptist convention or the annual meeting right right before it actually and we've invited a lot of people for that i mean obviously this is something that is important to the church uh, i remember my very first pastorate uh, i was pushed oh when are you going to preach through revelation when are you going to preach through revelation <laughs> and i was like oh my goodness but you know i've also sat in front of people teaching a systematic theology class and one of the individuals in the class that i cannot wait till we began to talk about end times i'm so interested in that and sometimes because it's a contentious issue uh i'll always i'll want to stay away from it i don't think that we're called to do that so why is having a robust understanding of eschatology an important thing for the church i think doctrinally it's important because christ stated he would come back and judge the world in righteousness and if we're not going to teach that or we're going to sidestep that um we're missing a big chunk of the gospel we're missing a big mm. chunk of the entire story of scripture mm. yeah. you know we're walking around yeah. with uh three quarters of a bible you know mm. we're not preaching the whole yeah. counsel of god yeah mm. there's a huge uh soteriological element that is married to the second coming of christ though obviously would not say that um, that salvation and eschatology are on par in terms of primary tertiary issues like we just talked about. But like I kind of alluded to 
uh, a few moments ago, with the second coming of Christ comes the full realization of our being glorified, our being perfected into uh, Christ while we are being molded and shaped until the coming time. Um, that is something that, that has, you see promised by Paul and Peter over and over again. Um, and it, it, it was a, it's a, a device used. I mean, that a literary device that they use, but a but a, an encouragement for the church to persevere, to realize their faith uh, in in the current uh, struggles that they have, knowing that one day everything will be set right with the second coming and all the struggles that you suffer through now, suffer through faithfully now, because that suffering will will uh, come in in the perfection of Christ. Uh, so it's a it's a great interest because it is. In a, in a way, like I said, married to a soteriological element, but at the same time, it's a, it, it does involve a, a tertiary conversation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say it's an important issue for the church uh, because it's a command. We are commanded to, to hope, and we are commanded to wait mm-hmm. for, for these things that are coming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's important for, for the church to to be looking at these things because it's what we're supposed to be waiting for. It's what we're supposed to be hoping for. It's what we're supposed yeah. to be looking for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like the, the big, you know, the foundational issue, I'm always going to go start with the foundation. Um, and this is the prime answer to, you know, there's, there's this question that we're talking about, you know, why is eschatology important issue for the church? Um, also the question of, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't want to like obliterate our questions anyway, but uh, this is kind of like a, a go-to for uh, these questions for like, there's three questions here. Um, so the one we're talking about and uh, why, how do eschatology and apologetics go together and why apologetics should be familiar or why an apologist should be familiar with eschatology. And the answer is just due to Deuteronomy 29, 29, has God revealed the end times? Has he like he says that he's declared the end from the beginning and he's actually given us uh, revelation on the beginning, mm-hmm. on the middle and on the end. And so why is it important um, for the church? Because the secret things belong to the Lord, but what has been revealed is for you and your children forever. Um, and then Jude three, um, how's it connect in? Why is it for the church? Cause I believe all church men should be apologists. I mean, that's not an office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we're called to do. And we're called in Jude three that we are to contend for the once for all delivered faith. Again, we, we know, we have knowledge of not comprehensive or whatever. There's still hidden things. Um, but why is it important for the church? Why is it important for the apologist? Where does it connect? Um, well, it connects at the eschatological church. You know, that's you know, so I have a broader um, definition of eschatology. Um, and so the church is an eschatological thing, um, especially from the Old Testament going into all that. So much broader. So, you know, we're just not talking about like a blip. Um, but there's a broader thing. That's why it's important because a whole council of God issue um, from the foundation that we do know and we have knowledge of, and we should be talking about it, you know, and doing stuff like this about it so that we are prepared. um, And then we know what to do in the meantime. So Adam and Dennis and Gabe and Colton, the next kind of thing that I tend to consider is based basically on a theology professor that I think many of us had. Uh, we've all at least met Dr. Umstadt. And before getting into eschatology in my Christian theology class with him, he talked about how studying eschatology was important because it should remind us of our Great Commission call. 
when you think about the position that you are going to be defending and advocating for, what would you say is a, a specific and particular element that really drives that point towards the Great Commission in a way that maybe even supersedes the other positions? Why is yours a more Great Commission centered position, in other words? I think historic premillennialism teaches us that uh, we should embrace even in the tough times, or we should brace ourselves for tough times and for suffering just as Christ did. But that doesn't mean great commission um, will go down in flames. It means that we'll persevere just as Christ did, that Christ is victorious. And though we carry out his mission, we too will be victorious in the end. Um, we can find our victory in Christ and rest in that. Um, that we are Christ's bride and we can be refined by the persecution that we endure. I think from, uh, uh, from my perspective, uh, what we, what we say a lot uh, is uh, that uh, Jesus's return uh, will happen after the gospel has gotten to every nation, every people group. Um, and, uh, how, however, that's to be understood, um, um, the, the emphasis is that the gospel needs to be spread, uh, before Jesus comes. And I've said before that, uh, um, the only thing, uh, uh the only reason we should give, uh, for a prayer that, that Jesus would, would not come yet is, is a prayer that you know, please let this person be saved before you come. That would be the only reason we would uh, want Jesus to delay coming. What I find interesting, um, even as I've been doing my preliminary research on it, uh, and even just my understanding of uh, the amillennial perspective in general, you know, to really just in a, I, I think a brief definition uh, of that, just to kind of set the answer. Um, a non-millennial perspective is going to argue for, I, I think Tom Schreiner handles it best. He calls it a realized eschatology that we are, that we are in the here and now of, of, um, of per se a, maybe a not literal millennium, but um, depending on where you fall, because he even argues, and I think could argue rightly that you could believe in a literal millennium and be an amillennialist nonetheless. Um, but I think if, if it is true that we are not looking forward to a thousand year reign, and this is what we would call a church age, which most amillennialists would say, then this is the age in which grace is flourishing um, and the gospel is able to pour forth because of the contrast that you see um, between the Old Testament nations being deceived, the evil that is there. Not that there is not evil in our age today. Certainly anybody who has eyes and ears in the United States would tell you there is present evil here. But uh, the gospel is still able to go forward in a very unique way, it seems, in uh, post-ascension uh, that is um, really, uh, I think... Um, Amillennialism plays a really nice uh, balance between sharing the gospel because he, this is the here and now, 
and also encouraging believers to persevere because it is the here and now and we wait for the master uh, and always be ready for when the master might return. I think, I think that uh, both what Jesus talked about in terms of those parables about the master returning and Paul's exhortation on uh, perseverance and then uh, combining that with uh, the expectation of sharing the gospel, I think plays a, a wonderful role, or at least uh, all millennialism has a lot to say in that regard. I, 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 uh, um, that's, that's how I would answer that for now. <laughs> I still have a lot of familiarity to get through this. I, I realize in many ways I, uh, as familiar as I am, is at the same time is as not familiar as I am. I realize mm. as a part of theology I have neglected, so I'm still trying to brush off a lot of stuff, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It's going to so, be a great conversation. It's a, it's a good way for me to learn at the same amen. time. Oh, yeah, this is going to be great because mostly whenever we get in the eschatology debate anyway, it's like we, we think we know, we think we know, we got all the verses down and blah, 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 and then all of a sudden you get one and you're like, oh, dang. <laughs> oh, <I'm good>. yeah. <laughs> again the measure of the system uh none of the systems work right so it's it's all based on the scripture and so i mean this goes into you know how i was answering the question anyway because it, you know like my eschatology doesn't promote the great commission the great commission promotes my eschatology mm-hmm. um it's because of my eschatology because christ said that he then there and uh, to them now have authority in heaven and on earth he has been given authority in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, disciple the nations. That's the grammatical. Disciple the nations, baptizing them, the nations, in my name, my, you know, the, the Trinitarian name, you know, just stuff like that. And then teach, teaching them, the nations, you know, and, and to observe my commands, right? So that's what we're, that's the goal. Um, you know, the law was evangelistic in the Old Testament. You know, it's like, you're going to do this. If you live by these rules, the nations will see you and they'll be like, man, what kind of God do they have? They have justice. They they didn't live that way. They failed, but the gospel goes out and wins. And so it's this great commission that Christ sent. So like, I don't, I don't have to promote the great commission with my eschatology. I have to go, no, I have to promote the great commission and go, and, and then here's what, you know, this is what obedience gets you temporally because we're still in covenant with God. And so like people will twist it and go, well, prosperity gospel, like, no, we still have suffering and all that kind of stuff. And that's my, in my position, but um, it's because of the great commission and that's why we go. And then that's why you end up with all the nations streaming up to the mountain of God. So it's a, just like the Bible is um, God, man, just like Jesus was God, man. Um, the mission of the gospel is God, man. And so I'm not trying to build something up our own tower of Babel, our Christian ghetto Babel to go, here you go, Jesus, you can come now. No, no, he's using us to get there. So it is the great commission that leads me to my eschatology. Well, let me jump a little bit, change gears slightly, because I know that many people really aren't familiar with the multiple different eschatologies. Mm -hmm. And, And even in our debate, I know that there are some different positions that are that are orthodox that aren't being represented. So maybe you all would help me just a little bit and help our audience by, as you uh, could do so in a, a fairly concise manner, give me just a basic summary of how the church has 
um, promoted the position that you're in, you know, the history of your position. I mean, who are maybe a few individuals from church history that held your position? Um, and maybe what's one of the biggest strengths, at least in your mind, of the the position you're defending? And Dennis, I'm going to start with you on that. I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay. Um, well, I, uh, I would say I, I, I grew up with the, the dispensational uh, premillennialism uh, idea around me. I, I remember growing up and listening to uh, my grandpa and my uncle uh, discussing the end time stuff. And so it was, it was fun to hear uh, some of that. But uh, um, um, uh, so, so that's kind of been part of my background in it and and uh um um but uh this particular uh eschatological position um as it's as it's stated as it's as it's labeled uh is is the youngest of the uh uh positions um it was uh, originated by uh darby i think was the one that uh uh, put it down, um, and um, uh, and so that's been in fairly recent history. Um, although it uh, uh, doesn't differ a whole lot from historical premillennialism. Um, so, uh, but uh, in terms of uh, uh, how people have heard about about it, uh, um, th there's the whole book series uh, that uh, uh, everybody had a lot of fun. Uh, reading um and uh they made even made them into a, some movies that kirk cameron was was a star of of those uh, movies and uh mm -hmm. I'm, and right now I, I can't remember the somebody tell me the name of the books because it's gone left behind series left behind, left thank behind. you oh yes <laughs> like oh yes when i need I the name it's movies. like <laughs> yeah you, and the beautiful thing about that he's on my team now so it's great <laughs> <laughs> i just learned that the other day too that was surprising <laughs> i heard that <laughs> you know one of the Her things Cameron? i find he's a post-millennial yeah. yep oh wow no way. hadn't heard he that is, yeah he has defied the the fun <laughs> Sorry, I always I, I got <laughs> just, just just for the sake of it. Like this is like I, I I've got a few people in the church, and like uh, there'll be something said from the pulpit, and I've got a few cards like that that theonomy, that post mill, that tulip, and so I got like little index cards, and so like I'll just like hold them up and show some of my friends whenever I'm excited about something. So, so sorry for derailing the conversation. But. No, 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 that's, no fine. that's good. Dennis, I I like the way you put that. You know, it's uh. A very accessible position. It's been certainly one, I think when most people think about end times, that's where many people will go. Uh, yeah. In fact, many people don't even know that there are other positions. And so, right. yeah, I think you've got to, again, I think you are going to have this opportunity to, to really put that in uh, in combat with the other positions. So thank you so much. Colton, tell me a little bit about the history of, of yours. Historic is in the name. So obviously in the name. it has to be right. Well, that's <laughs> that says it right there, you know, done. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, historic premillennialism, uh, obviously as the name states, historic, uh, The some of the people, maybe you can trace it back to um, Irenaeus, uh, Justin Martyr, Papias, uh, early church fathers all held to some form 
Um, it's kind of hard to distinguish exactly what form because we don't have a whole lot of writings from them, but they held to aspects of it. Um, historic premillennialism, uh, to contrast it uh, to dispensationalism, they're, uh, you could say we're post-tribulational. Uh, so hold to the fact that after there'll be a time of tribulation and then the rapture will occur. So a rapture uh, constituting believers and they will return to Christ on this earth, um, will establish a millennial rule on this earth. And afterwards, Satan will be loosed, great war, and Christ will judge all. Um, unfortunately, historic premillennialism uh, has not been as mainstream as mm. dispensational. Uh, it's been kind of stuck in ivory towers, to be honest. Uh, if you just looking at some of the current names today that that teach historic premillennialism, you'll notice that a lot of them are scholars. A lot of them are uh, academics. So not a lot of exciting book uh, sequences written about historic premillennialism. Uh, <laughs> but individuals like perhaps one of the most famous, George Eldon Ladd, uh, who kind of really pushed this, uh, brought back this, made it more popular in scholarly circles. Um, he influenced people like Dr. Walter Martin, Robert Mounts, um, Douglas Moo, who is perhaps one of my favorite uh, commentators. Um, and, uh, we get Albert Moeller. So that's, that's a check. <laughs> <laughs> the, just this week, I, I learned that by the way, and sent you the, yeah. <laughs> sent you the yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that either, but it, it's, it works great oh, right yeah. now. <laughs> All kinds of surprises. <laughs> well, Adam, tell us a little bit about your position. Oh, you, you messed it up because I was going at the end the whole time. <laughs> and it was I working shuffle, because Colton was going first. Colton was going first. <laughs> and then the dispensational D was like picking one. It was great. <laughs> anyway, I had this whole plan. You shot it. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, again, I'm always Mr. Qualifier or whatever. So, you know, it's like I love, I love the fact that the uh, creeds, the ecumenical creeds don't take a millennial position and that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but you do have, you know, despite the individuals in a uh, time, you know, um, but also always the warning, um, the, the people are not the reference point. So just because you have somebody on your side, you know, um, and I can say that I have Augustine on my side. I, I, I'm in, and it's one of the things that remember though, Rome picks up Augustine and so do Protestants. So some of these people can go like, um, well, here's where, and I even, I thought like, say Spurgeon was a, uh, was an Amil guy, but he, I just found a quote on Psalm 86 that made him sound like a post mill dude, because he says that, um, he didn't that David, he, he says, David doesn't agree with this modern dispensationalism that he would. So I'm sitting here going, so he's post mill. So again, there's, there's a problem whenever you get an inconsistent person that might, he, he writes everywhere and then you find stuff and you're like, uh, so, um, but you know, Augustine, Eusebius, um, origin has some you know yeah he's right and wrong too um but you you can see post-millennium through post-millennialism throughout history um and yes i have to do admit that there was a uh, downgrade of it because of wars and stuff like that and again we i think we've lost our covenantalism um and that was a that's a big issue in the debate is um 
why that scared people into not going into hope. Um, and they went into the other things because of that, but, um, historically, you know, there's, it's been in history. Um, and then, you know, my modern dudes, uh, love Gary DeMar, love Kenneth Gentry, love Doug Wilson, loves RC Sproul. Um, you know, uh, Doug Shivers here in town's a post mill guy. Um, you know, so there's a lot of people in my life, um, that are post mill folks. Uh, I love James White and Jeff Durbin and all that stuff. So, uh, there is a big resurgence. I guess I'm a part of it, um, in that, but there it, it is in history. A lot of people try to label it's, it's really funny when you read books, like the position you don't like is always the newest. <laughs> and at least here we are being um we are we are being real here and dennis i appreciate you taking that um that that the modern translation or the modern interpretation of the dispensational pre-mill is a more newer position but here's where um i love this quote from uh, kenneth gentry um is that we should expect because again, man not being the measure of this thing, we should expect to find gradual development of millennial schemes rather than fully functioning systems in early Christian history. And that's because, again, ecumenical creeds don't take a millennial position. So we didn't have this fleshed out. And so we should see the fleshing of it out over time. Mm -hmm. Gabe, how about you? I'll let you close this little question yeah. out here. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe that's the right, that's the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. I've actually in, I mean, really and truly, you can see a lot of guys in history um, that have pointed to been pointed at as to, man, this sounded like pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill. It's interesting. There's some theologians I've listened to that said Augustine's City of God uh, was a good framework for the amillennial perspective. At least it kind of set um, the study for it. Uh, what's even more interesting is the more systematic theologies I read on it, the more I see a lot of people really kind of don't don't uh, they don't take it as uh, amillennialism as serious as perhaps post mill and pre mill in, in in their variations. Um, so I'd be interested to see the kind of research I can dig out of it. Cause even the books that I have, I have Wayne Grudem, I have Danny Aiken, I have, uh, uh, John L. Dagg and, uh, mm -hmm. I need to get, I have Millard Erickson, but he's, he's, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he's definitely not a reformed guy, but that's neither here nor mm -hmm. there to a degree. Mm -hmm. As far as research, it's interesting to see what critics say. Uh, but I look at Augustine and the city of God. I think the, I could see the, connection to um, amillennialism from um, fourth century, uh, third to fourth century writings for Augustine. Tom Schreiner actually claims to be, he says on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm probably an amillennialist. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Sunday, I'm not sure. Um, so it's just one of those things I hear, even a great uh, New Testament theologian sometimes is willing to give credence to one view over another just mm -hmm. kind of depends, you know, it just really shows the, uh, uh, I think the dedication it takes to have to be both open and um, willing to stand at least in one camp, but not, not be married to it because um, while there is a lot said about it, there's a reason why there's a lot of conversation and disagreement. So 
uh, it all comes back to hermeneutics, and that's, uh, I mean, there's, um, there's a lot to be said there. And one thing I was curious on, because uh, I, could, I could almost probably, I could bet my whole bank account, not that I would, because I'm a Baptist. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I would. I would almost bet that Adam is a preterist, a semi-preterist with me. I would almost bet. Yes. Um, again, I have stated. Like, Dave, that you again. are as well. Yeah. So, so we were so close yet so far away in our debate last year, right? You know, with the way that we were talking about like some yeah. presuppositional stuff, and like you know, we're we're sitting here and we're like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. And so that's the thing about the the, the amillennialist position. What are you preterist on? And I believe every one of us are preterist about something, right? So that's the other issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes, but yes, I am the most preterist you can get without putting Jesus second, like physical body coming a long time ago. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, let me move forward a little bit. And Adam, you get to be the first one this time. All right. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) how do eschatology and apologetics go together? And why should apologists be familiar with eschatology? Yeah. Again, to go back to the, you know, the, the earlier uh, answer, um, how do they go together? It's the word of God. Um, we have to, to proclaim the faith that's once for all delivered. We got to deal with what we're revealed with, you know, so we have to deal with it. Um, and it's in there. Um, the, the, the terms in times, last days, last day, day of the Lord, all those kind of things. We have to understand what they are, give them biblical definitions, um, doing proper exegesis, showing other people proper exegesis and proper definitions um, as they go on, again, discipling people. So this is a great commission apologist thing. It's the word of God. Um, so that's how they go together. Dennis, how about you? How how do eschatology and apologetics go together? And, and why should apologists be familiar with eschatology? Well, if I can keep my mind straight, I've got a couple of answers to that. Excellent. Uh, First of all, um, because there are people that will say things like, you know, Jesus is coming back on in this month of this year or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, also, there are people that are saying, uh, oh, the, you know, the world's going to be destroyed by an asteroid or by uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a virus or uh, yeah. uh, or climate change or, or nuclear weapons or, you know, there's all these scenarios, all these uh, uh, ideas of how the world's going to end, and apologists have to be ready to say, "No, that's not what the Bible says." <laughs> yeah. So we need to be able to defend uh, against these false ideas that are coming from the world. Um, the second part of the my answer is: um, a few years ago, uh, I contributed to a, a book mm-hmm. uh, that uh, some of you might be familiar with, and it's on uh, my shelf, <laughs> I, uh, I got one. My topic was um, uh, uh, something that a lot of people have, have just never heard of. It's called imaginative apologetics. Yeah. And the idea behind it is that uh, um, uh, there's, there's a couple of ideas. One of them is that things like C.S. Lewis, where he would write uh, about a fantastical land called Narnia, and in the process of that, describe what salvation and Jesus were all about, um, but uh, do it in the in the form of of a fictional uh, setting. But the other thing is that there's uh, uh, fictional stories that try to describe 
uh, how things go, and we need to be able to defend against those fictional because fiction uh, uh, can can drive our ideas. When when we go to see uh, movies and and shows and and the music that we listen to, those are all ways of putting ideas into our heads and and affirming those ideas. And and we as apologists need to be able to defend against those types of ideas. And so there's a lot of, you know, zombie apocalypse type movies and, and uh, um, there's, there's both. There's, there's the, the utopian type of uh, futures like Star Mm -hmm. Trek, where things are going to get much, much better. And then there's the dystopian uh, future movies uh, where, you know, things are just going to get worse and worse and horrible. And um, we need to be able to address that and say, yeah, that's that's an interesting idea, but that's the the Bible says things aren't going to go that way, and so we need to be able to uh, uh, to to take those those fictional accounts and say, okay, you, you see where it's saying that things are going to get really bad. You know what? The Bible actually does say things are going to get really bad, uh, and so let me let me bring the story that you're watching or reading and bring that back into the Bible, and that's how uh, as apologists we use fiction. We use uh, that those types of things, those uh, um, imaginative uh, ideas, and bring them into uh, uh, a discussion of of what uh, what the Bible actually says about things. Love that, very good. Uh, Gabe, help me out too with this. I mean, how do apologetics and eschatology go together, and, and why should you know to build even on specifically thinking a little bit more about your position? Why should an apologist be familiar with eschatology? Um, I want to add, because I, I think I could, I am right to give a hearty, uh, yes and amen, uh, to what has just been said. Um, but to add to that, because I think the, the few points given already are, are pretty spot on some of which I was thinking about as it was being said. So I had to think a little differently. I think one thing that it is important especially biblically, hermeneutically, not just conceptually with ideas, um, but the, this is where I think textual criticism really steps into the limelight as far as apologetics. James White immediately comes to mind about this. R.C. Sproul immediately comes to mind to this because... Um, R.C. Sproul's whole series, you know, The Last Days According to Jesus, is really and truly an apologetic response to textual critics that say, well, Jesus made this uh, prediction, this prediction, this prediction, and none of it happened, or none of it has happened. Um, And that's where, of course, the semi-preterist view would come in, at least as it's labeled. Yet, um, to be familiar, to look at those who are going to go into the Bible— not just look at what's going on out of the world, but who are going to go into Scripture for the sole purpose and intention of their attempt to destroy the Christian worldview Mm -hmm. from that eschatological perspective. It is very important that we are hermeneutically robust in our thinking um, and at least are familiar with the ways in which it can be answered because as long as your, your argument and is biblical and at least married to a sound hermeneutical structure, be you fall on pre, post, or all mill, is if you are at least saying I'm being hermeneutically 
consistent. I am trying to do the best that I can with the human mind and the human heart that I have. Um, you will be able to deflect those who, who um, of be they atheistic flavor or whatever, just want to come in and try to knock it down. We can stand on our, our hind legs with, with uh, gusto and say, actually, you're wrong. Um, and I can take those thoughts, as Paul would say, and make them captive to the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's just to add on to uh, one other way to look at it is people are, people are not shy to read on this kind of stuff, especially when it comes to the Bible. And um, I think the more familiar we can be, the more we will be able to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And part of that hope is looking forward to a future glory. Amen. Like that. Colton, you get to be last this time. Tell me a little bit about how apologetics and eschatology go together and particularly, you know, share with me why the apologists should be familiar with with eschatology. If you've got something to add on to that and maybe even from your position, how it it helps with that. I I think everyone really did a great job of kind of summarizing everything. I mean, some of the things I, that come to my mind um, with how does eschatology and apologetics work together is uh, thinking of just these different cult groups, such as Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, Mormons, all these cults came out mm-hmm. of uh, eschatological backgrounds. You know, there was mm-hmm. a reason they believe what they believe. It wasn't because, I mean, it is because some guy, you know, had a vision and went out in the woods and dug stuff up, but there was there was historical mm. background there. There was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was a lot of stuff there um, tacked onto that. And a lot of it had to do with eschatology. Mm. And if we ignore eschatology, um, I mean, just think of Mormonism. How, how important is eschatology in Mormonism? I mean, it's the mm-hmm. entire thing. Yeah. I mean, the whole system is based off eschatology. Um, so if we don't know our own eschatology, um, just like if we don't know our own faith, how in the world can we tear down or be able to to pry open that door um, to witness to others? Um, that's why we should be familiar with eschatology. We should have it not necessarily ironed out, you know, folded perfectly, but we should we should have in our back pockets uh, pretty well, I pretty good idea of where we stand. Because um, if not, how are we going to? tell the Seventh-day Adventists that, hey, you know, this new president isn't necessarily the Antichrist, or or how are we going to tell Jehovah's Witnesses, or when they come knocking on your door, um, you're not going to have an answer, a biblical answer. Um, you can have a maybe a cultural answer, but you're not going to have a biblical answer on why what they're bringing to the table is false. Mm. Um, so we have to be well familiarized with this stuff. Well, guys, thank you so much for those answers. I think those are outstanding. Let me kind of move to these last two questions. And Colton, I don't think I've given you the first opportunity to speak. Uh, So let me do that now. Uh, Being that there are numerous eschatological positions, um, how do you rectify that with the clarity of Scripture? I think it's uh, pretty simple. I think Douglas Wilson actually summarized it really well in his roundtable discussion uh, with Jim Hamilton, I believe it was Jim Hamilton and uh, Sam Storms. Uh, he said, "Each of us follow God in our own way. You and yours, and I and his." So it's pretty simple. 
<laughs> I've been sitting on yeah. that quote. I love that one. But anyway, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> but uh, scripture, scripture is clear, but our feeble minds are not always that clear. Uh, you know, we agree. All of us agree on the basics here: the resurrection. Uh, we agree on the fact that Christ will come again, that He will judge the living and the dead. Um, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Um, now, the paths we take to get there might be a little different. But I think that's because each of us would agree that we have a different perspective. Um, each one of us is looking through maybe the window of God's word just a little bit different. Um, we can see some different reflections and so on and so forth. But it doesn't mean the scripture isn't clear. It just means our perspective on scripture may, might be slightly different. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Adam. I got another card. So oh. <laughs> that pre-sub. That's how so I how I like that one. It's the same thing. Go. It's and it's the same answer. Uh, so yeah. the thing is, when it comes to the points of scripture, it's a it's authority, inspiration, inerrancy, whichever one you want to use, clarity, sufficiency, necessity. Those are all preconditions of intelligibility. So without the clarity, we can't even have this discussion. We can't even have debate. We can't have the logic to even be able to hash these things out. So um, again, it goes back to scripture. It goes back to, you know, us uh, growing and learning. So instead of there is a subjective nature to sanctification, mm -hmm. um, being bathed in the word, washed in the word. And so, you know, it's, it's, a it's, there's a lot, it's a lot. Um, so, you know, it depends on, you know, it can be what church did you go to or did they teach you? And then did you read something in Isaiah that made you go, wait a second? You know, again, talking about from sort of my personal experience there, you know, it's kind of where I've been to where I'm now. Um, and it's just the more I read scripture, um, the more the community presses in um, around me, too. And then being able to have discussions like this and and challenge one another and look at scripture and stuff. So, again, this is a tertiary issue um or i, I i'm about adiaphora like second like there's first order issues or second order we don't we can keep on adding ad infantum but it's a secondary issue um but uh i think you, when it comes to why are there so many positions because again it's how do we study scripture we are the problem it's a presupposition anyway so mm -hmm. gabe yeah i mean i was essentially going to say almost very closely to what um to what adam's saying i mean I, I i really do believe it depends on um what motivates your hermeneutical structure um how you view scripture um it it really it does all come back to that now i will say what is um very interesting is that while there are differing views on when certain things are going to so essentially the, uh, this conversation circles around at what point is the church going to be united in glory with with the savior at what mm -hmm. point is judgment going to come both the living and the dead uh the two judgments the great the great white throne judgment and judgment seat of christ at what point is all of this going to happen and at what point are is, is uh, the discussion of revelation 19 like when is all that going to happen what was not disputed is jesus's expectation of believers to get there so um obviously like what colton said we don't disagree that i mean we all believe at some point jesus will come back and at some point these judgments will occur and at some point 
um, believers will be eternally with their Savior and those who have uh, denied that um, general call, as it were, uh, will suffer the eternal consequence of that uh, uh, ultimate decision. Um, but I, I, I guess I don't, some people might see that, I guess, as an issue. I, I don't really see it as an issue because really all we're talking about is timing. Mm. What, what, what time does this occur? Um, in other words, there really isn't much of a disagreement outside of when. Um, which is what Jesus said is not for us to know, <laughs> but it's for us to Good be point. faithful. So um, um, I, I, I do believe, though, it is a fruitful conversation. The Lord has given us enough insight to at least have expectation. He was gracious enough. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Gracious enough to even answer the disciples in, uh, in the Olivet Discourse recorded in the Gospels. That's just such a wonderful, wonderfully gracious thing that our Lord did for us. And obviously inspiring the Apostle John uh, after years of reflection on his entire life and his old age to write uh, and, and, and receive this revelation from the Lord um, in a very consistent way. Um, it's just, uh, it's, there's a lot of fruit to glean from it. It's not there's there is much more to the conversation i think that is more primary in nature than the mere timing of it all uh, mm. so i'm very you know excited to continue to look into it but that's just some mm-hmm. you know i don't see it as that big of an issue but then again my presuppositions have brought me to that to that uh, <laughs> conclusion so uh van till was not wrong <laughs> yeah. go van till Oh, man. Dennis, you've been patiently waiting and listening to these answers uh, about the clarity of Scripture and how you rectify that, given that there are these positions. Uh, uh, How do you engage in that concept? Um, How do you justify it? For me, it has to do with the nature of biblical prophecy. Uh, The purpose of biblical prophecy isn't to give us a chronology of exactly this and this and this and this. It's to give believers hope and it's to give non-believers fear Mm. that that they need to to get things straightened out before this happens that god's judgment is coming and you need to be ready for it and uh, and so that's the the first the before the prophecy happens that's the purpose of it to give hope to believers and fear to non-believers after the prophecy happens uh, we look back and, and see, oh, this, 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 this all lined up just like we do with Jesus. We can look at all the prophecies of Jesus's birth and go, oh, my goodness, there's, there's hundreds of prophecies that all apply to Jesus's birth and life on earth. And they all match up. Uh, this is the sovereignty of God. And mm-hmm. so that's the other part of the, the purpose of, of uh, biblical prophecy is to, to put the focus on the, the sovereignty of God. And um, so uh, the fact that we can't figure out the order of it, that's fine because um, that's not the purpose of the prophecy. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, if we want to argue about the order of it, that's fine. That it still still doesn't change the purpose of the prophecy. That's right. Well, gentlemen, uh, that last question is one that we've kind of covered essentially, you know, where, how does eschatology bring us the opportunity for apologetics? I think you've definitely covered that. I guess I kind of want to open up. We got about six minutes here before we kind of close up. Is there anything that you had, you know, regarding that you think is really important for people going into the debate and what they should expect? I'd just like to say, though, to finish that last question, um, 
what's really cool about it is from my position whenever people are like why are you so hopeful and then that is like and like i'm talking in the chair and i'm like oh yeah this is gonna you know this is what's uh, talked about you know isaiah talks about this um you know this is the nature of things and they're sitting there going like i've never heard that before um so like all the hope stuff there's a there's a lot of despair there's a lot of everything's running down cynicalism and stuff like that and like how do you maintain hope and it's like well i've got this promise i got this promise this is what's coming um yes it can it can look like this now but it'll get destroyed and something else will grow out of it and all so it's just one of those things that it uh, uh, eschatology does lead to straight to the gospel um, whenever you get like into that. it, if it's about hope, it goes to the gospel and it gets right into what is the hope that is within me that I am giving a reason to vent for. Mm. Um, so, and especially my position being more, being the, uh, more of the optimistic, heavily optimistic, heavy handed wise, you know, it definitely strikes people and they're like, what never heard that before. And, you know, so that's, you know, there, there's, there's ways, um, that it leads the, the conversation will just go straight to the gospel. It's great. So, um, but yeah, but as far as the debate goes, bring pens, um, or they'll probably be provided, but make sure you have a pen, a piece of paper, um, and that you come are like wanting question, wanting to question, mm-hmm. wanting to write good questions, not statements. Um, and so that we can all learn, uh, more together. So that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. Well, guys, I am really excited about what uh, you are going to do on October 23rd. I'm excited to see each of you in action and encouraged by it. And I'm thankful for your ministries. Um, we're going to wrap it up a little bit different. Usually we'll go solely day of oh, yeah. because there's only I three of us. Think about that. So um, <laughs> let's see here. Um, Dennis, you have been on the program this is your first time on the program. My first time, correct. Yes. So uh, I'm going to say, you know, I'm Dave Van Beber. This is the Tag Your It podcast. And then you will just have to say Soli Deo Gloria all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what about the rest of them? Uh, okay, so Dave, Dave you take. It. Okay, so Dave, you go. So Dennis Lee. Uh, Gabe, day, and then oh, oh, and I say Gloria. (laughs) Well, we can can all say it together. Uh, Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) So, everybody, guys, thank you for your time. Um, It's going to be fun uh, meeting up with you at the Missouri Baptist Annual Meeting of 2022 in St. Charles, Missouri, um, for the debate. What does the Bible say about the end times? Featuring us, M. Ban apologist. Again, it's October. 23rd so that's the uh, day before the con- before the annual meeting sets off at 7 p.m at saint charles convention center in the junior ballroom seat and d lower level in saint charles missouri so with that said this is the tag you podcast i'm ray ray i'm dave and, and we're we got here with dennis colton gabriel and at the same time everybody Holy, 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 holy,